Amen, amen. Our scripture for tonight is Matthew 6, verses 7 through 15. So you guys can turn to that. These words come written to us by Matthew, but spoken by Jesus uh, as he instructs us on prayer. So as we reflect on these words, let's just absorb the fact that Jesus himself spoke these over us. Starting in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others for their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. We could talk for hours and hours on this, um, this famous passage. Uh, you probably were like, as Ben was reading it, you were probably like kind of, whether you meant to or not, like, our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, who art in heaven. Like you were like, well, you, found, you may have found yourself, I did. I was sitting over there and I was like, listen to him read it. But I was like saying it back. Such a famous passage. The problem with like John 3.16 and, and the Lord's Prayer and those kinds of passages is it's easy to say, I know this. And so I, I want this to be fresh. I want this to be, to be new and engaging. Um, but we could spend a really long time on each of these verses, and so we're just not going to. There's just kind of one big thing I want to talk about tonight. But, um, but to do that, I don't know, if you're a cook, uh, uh, you like to smoke meat, you're like a baker, a chef, any of those things involving like the final product that ends up on the table. Is that you? Any of you? You like like it. You don't have to be great at it, but you like it. Okay, I see that. Some hands are like, it's me. Like, I'm, we like you. Um, we're thankful. We like to come eat at your place. But um, I like to smoke meat. That's kind of my thing. And I'll do some other cooking and whatnot. But like, um, sometimes you have to prep something before, and you have to like prep it. And then you have to like, Put it over here because you're going to need it. And when you need it, you need it to be ready, but you're not going to need it for a while. But like, you've got to go ahead and prep it. And so that's what I want to do with the very first part of this sermon. This sermon is kind of a three-part sermon. So part one, we're going to prep this thing and we're going to come back to it, but we need to prep it now. And it's, it's the gospel. Um, and so the gospel, you need the gospel to understand the Lord's prayer. Uh, and so I like to think of salvation, the gospel, euangelion. Um, I like to think of, that's the Greek word for it. I like to think of the gospel in, in three tenses and, or three words, justification, sanctification, glorification. At every stage of justification, sanctification, and glorification, we come with empty hands seeking mercy from our heavenly father, says Derek Thomas. Um, John Stott, um, a famous preacher, theologian, has argued that even Paul, when Paul was, was imprisoned and he was arguing the faith with these Roman leaders, with Governor Felix, he, he argued three parts of salvation. He, he told Felix about the righteousness, about the self-control, and about the coming judgment in Acts 24, 25. 
We're, we're all familiar with, uh, maybe not all, but a lot of us are familiar with a couple of the big passages, the big rock passages in the New Testament about, about the gospel. Ephesians 2, may, may this never get old to us, by the way. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love he lavished on us when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Even in that, we see like this image of like, I was dead and I was saved, but then there's like this future thing of being, uh, of being united with him and I'm currently like partly here but partly raised with him. Um, and so you see these tenses of salvation. Romans 5, 6 through 10, this one's definitely going in the mix of the things that we're bringing back at the end, but Romans 5, 6 through 10, this is so beautiful. Listen to this. May the gospel, if you're a Christian, may the gospel never, never get like hit dull ears. May it hit ears, and if they are dull, may they come to life as we're reminded of what he has done for us and where we stand with him. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for ungodly people. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare to even dare even to die. But God shows his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. If we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Um, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now will we be reconciled, that we, that now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So I use the words, these, I use the word saved, and I use it three different ways. I say, God has saved me, God is saving me, and God will save me. He, he's, he's justified me, he is sanctifying me. And one day, when this old mix of the old sin nature and the new nature in Christ finally breathe their last and I wash up on the shore of heaven, he will glorify me. And so it's not just like I get snatched out of the fiery, the fiery pit of hell and like I just am gone to live. He saved me. He's saving me. He will continue. He will save me. And so the gospel of Jesus is good news. It's the good news that God offers the rock of ages as our sure and steady anchor for the soul to save us, sanctify us, and glorify us by his grace through saving faith while we were dead in sin and marked as his enemies. So now, let's take the gospel. We've put all the ingredients in. We've stirred it up. We're just going to sit it over here, and as the kids say, let it cook. All right. Sorry, a guy did that on Instagram, and I was like, I cannot believe he said that in the sermon. Uh, so here we go. All right, so two weeks ago in this passage, we saw Jesus give three warnings, and he was like, hey, what you do when you give, when you pray, when you fast, do it in secret. And he says it over and over again. He says, do it in secret. And he says, what, you're, what you do in secret, your Father will see and will reward you. We skipped the Lord's Prayer, but it's included in that. The Lord's Prayer is, an, is this act of righteousness, Jesus calls it. And so when you pray, when you pray, and you're really seeking God, this is one of those things that you also likewise have to trust. The Lord sees this. The Lord hears me. This is not in vain. 
This is not 15 minutes I woke up early, time spent in, in vain, and, and oh well, whatever. No, the Lord sees this when we come to him in this way and we pursue him. Um, and so as we jump into this passage, it's on prayer. Let me go to him in prayer. Lord, as we look at this model prayer, would you just, would you just convict us? Deep down in our heart, exactly where we need conviction, your Holy Spirit is perfect at pointing out anything in us that is off, anything in us that needs adjusting, anything in us that needs to, to be gone where we need to go in a different direction. So Lord, would you move freely in us tonight? Would you surprise us by how you meet us? It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this passage and... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have seven different moments in here. So if you're a note taker and you're like, Thomas never uses points, point one. <laughs> All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this, we're going to break it down, and we're going to just hit it real fast because there's one thing I want to get to. So this is not exhaustive. There's books, books on this prayer, multiple books. We're going to hit this in like 25 minutes. And when you pray, do not heap up. And this is what I want to look at in point number one. I want to look at this idea of empty phrases. So when we go to God, we want to be careful about like our posture and our words. We don't want to go, we don't want to, go to the Lord and just, just talk. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this picture that was floating around um, about like just how silly it would be if we talk to, uh, if we talk to each other um, the way that we talk to God. And so it's like, Emily, wife, could you just, just pick up some milk, Emily, wife, while you're at the store? Just go ahead, Emily, wife, and just, just go to the milk section, Emily. Just grab some milk, Emily. Just, just place it right in your cart, wife. Emily, wife, just, thank you, Emily, wife. Like, if you think about it, like, sometimes our prayers, the Lord's just nice, isn't he? Isn't he nice that he hasn't been like, stop it? Like, what's wrong with you? Uh, I mean, we do, we, we talk real funny sometimes. A friend of mine who, um, but we're not the only one, so like, let's pick on some other people. A friend of mine who worked in a Muslim country for many, many years, he was a missionary, he said he met many Muslims and he would talk to them about his faith, they would talk to them about their faith, and they would talk about prayers because Muslims pray five times a day. And so some of them would say, I don't really know what the prayers mean. And he would say, tell me more. So they would memorize these prayers. This is not every Muslim, but this is some of the Muslims in the context he worked. They would memorize these prayers and they really believed that they might could get God's attention depending on their delivery of the prayer. So they would work very hard on memorizing the prayer and saying it in a certain cadence and with a certain delivery. And the hope was they might do it a little bit better than some other people and they would get God's attention. Uh, I think these, this silly example on the screen of how we talk to God, that example of, of how some Muslims in his context talk to the Lord, there's this idea of like, hey, let's not heap up these empty phrases. God's not impressed. He's not impressed by our vocabulary. He's, he's, he's okay with, um, he's, he's honestly okay with us going in to listen as much as just talk. Um, I mean, have you, who, who, the funny thing is like this prayer that Jesus gave us has kind of become an empty phrase. 
Who's, who was on a sporting team where this prayer was, was prayed? Yes, me too. It was amazing. We prayed this prayer because we figured if we prayed it, maybe God would realize he should give us favor over them. And so we would pray this prayer. And before the N, the letter N in amen, um, you know, uh, deliver us from the evil one, yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's go get those. And like the words that would come out of our mouths. Before the end ever got silent, ever stopped carrying its sound. It was unbelievable, but we prayed the prayer, so it's got to count for something. It was like this lucky rabbit's foot. You know what, what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes? There's my tell. I think Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 3, he said this, and I think it's so good. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. They do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, because God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. So prayer isn't like a running of my mouth. Instead, it's speaking wisely and listening that's how Jesus encourages us to start thinking about prayer. And then the second thing is, I think this is so important, this kind of takes the wind out of some people's sails, but do not be like them for your father, your father knows what you need. He knows what you need. Like, this is a little bit disappointing because some of us think that God, when we go to prayer, it's, uh, it's the same as like our Amazon cart. And Lord, I'll take one of these, and I would like to also have one of these, and Father God, Lord, I would like, is that throwing some extras? Father God, Lord, I would like two of these, if thou pleased. Like, we're like, we're like the Amazon shopping cart. And, he's, and, and Jesus says, by the way, your father already knows what you need. So that, that kind of pokes a hole in a lot of people's thoughts on what is prayer anyway. It's not, it's not this shopping trip I'm going on. He already knows what I should have before I even ask him. Um, there's this, this Jewish man, Joshua, um, Abraham Joshua Heschel. He is Jewish. He's not a Christian. But I think he may know more about prayer than some Christians. One of his things he used to say was, the issue of prayer is not prayer. The issue of prayer is God. The whole purpose of prayer is not like to get the things. The whole purpose of prayer is to get to God. And the Westminster Larger Catechism, number 178, says this. And some of you, some of you who grew up in the Presbyterian uh, tradition, you probably know this, but um, it says to ask, it asks that very question, stating in response, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of the Spirit, with the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercy. So listen to me. The Lord already knows what we need. So prayer is not a shopping trip. Prayer is communion with the Father. And a really good prayer time gets your mind away from the things you thought you needed and starts to wrap them around what he knows we need. And that comes from talking and listening. And then when you get to, 
to the third little part here, which is verses nine and 10. I think it's five lines that change the world. And this is the entrance into the prayer. He says, pray then like this. So we know that this doesn't have to be the exact words we pray. We know that we can pray like this. So he's giving us both a prayer and a model of prayer. And so what does he do? He's, he, and he, again, we're just gonna pick a couple of things. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Look, I'm telling you, these five lines will change your life. Think about it. Our Father, it's exactly, it's exactly what you think it means. When we begin to pray, we're talking to a good Father who is familiar, kind, wise, and safe. He's familiar, wise, kind, and safe. We go to God, our Father. Lord, you are kind and wise and safe. And you know what? Hallowed be your name. Let's think about that. Do you realize that his name, like I have three names. Um, I, met, I met a guy who, um, who's from Africa last week, and I said, how many names do you have? And he was like, he started counting. I think he has nine. Like he's got nine names. I've got three names. He's got nine names. The names of God are so many I keep this picture on my desk. And in this picture, um, I keep saying I'm gonna preach a sermon on this, and maybe I will, but I keep this picture on my desk of these names of God I made in a list like in like 2016, but it's the strong creator, the relational God, the God who rules, the God our provider, our warrior, our peace, our shepherd, our banner, the sanctifier, the healer, the righteous, the most high, the mighty, the almighty God with us. Lord, you are good and kind and safe and wise and you are, you are the healer and you are the shepherd and you are the redeemer and you are the sanctifier. You are, you're relational and you're creator. I mean, this, all of a sudden, my mind starts to get blown. Then I get to this next line in verse 10, like right here, and I start thinking, oh, well, of course your kingdom come. What is happening in your kingdom? Your kingdom, Lord, your kingdom come. In heaven, it's all right. Everything's right. Everybody's around you and everything's in order and there is no sin, there is no chaos. Lord, your kingdom come to earth. Bring that here. How do I join that? So your kingdom come. Lord, you know what? I came to you with this agenda. I wanted to list all these things about these people and these problems and this stuff, but you know what? Forget mine. Your will be done. And you know what? Bring it to earth. Maybe that's why you left me here, so that I can be a part of bringing your kingdom here. And as you pray these five little lines, here's what happens. Usually when we start praying, it's like, it's something like this, God and me. But as you, as you pray this, it's so fascinating. When you pray in the way and the order Jesus told us to pray, it's like this. It's this giant shift that happens. And he becomes so big and so strong and so wonderful. And I kind of get lost. And this is no longer a chant before a football game on a Friday night. And so when we move to the next part of this prayer. We've come to the place where there's been a demagnification of me. There's been a proper ordering of things, a right prioritizing of things. It's more than five little lines. It's life-changing. And what we see in this fourth part is, oh my goodness, now it's like getting a little bit about me. And when I started to pray, I couldn't wait to get to me. But now I'm like surprised that it's my turn. And this is exciting. And so when I get to this, this whole idea of 
give us this day our daily bread, I can't help but think about the 23rd Psalm. In the 23rd Psalm, we see that the shepherd takes care of us. Let's see if I can write it where you can read it. Probably not. Physically and spiritually. And so I think, I think that what's happening here is like an echo of Psalm 23, where the shepherd takes, takes us to the green pastures and leads us to still waters. And the Lord, I think, is saying, physically, I will take care of you. Ask me for my day. Ask me for your daily bread. Let me be your sustainer. Let me be your provider. But also, not only does he give us that daily bread, but he gives us, he gives us this like restoration of the soul and he leads us in paths of righteousness. So Lord, let me satisfy my body, but satisfy my spirit today. Give it to me today. And the beauty is it's like today. This is daily bread. And, uh, and this, this fifth part here, verse 12, I'm going to skip that for a second and, and I want to come back to it. But this, this sixth and seventh parts of the prayer, I mean, it's, it's amazing Jesus put all of this into one prayer. But this, this sixth and seventh part is that he's our, he's our guide and he's our protector. Spell it right. He's our protector. So lead us not into temptation. If you think about it, that's an interesting prayer to pray. Because that's like a negative way to pray. What you're praying is, God, guide my paths. And Johnny said it when he was up here a minute ago. He's like, man, I need all the help I can get. I'm just asking the Lord to like illuminate the path that he wants me to go on. And that's what this is. Lord, lead me not into temptation. So if you're not going to lead me in temptation, lead me in the right way. Um, I love this. Uh, we, I, I threw Heather this little surprise party on, on Sunday night for her birthday. And um, I was sitting next to, to Will Carlisle. Will plays the guitar, leads us uh, in worship each week. And uh, Will and I were sitting together Sunday night. And uh, I said, Will, I, you're the only artist I know that I can ask this. Would you write a one-line worship song? And he said, I have one. I was like, I'll find another artist. Okay, he does. Because I only know of one guy that has one. And, and William Benjamin Hastings, my favorite guy to quote. He, um, he has this one-line worship song. And the song is called Glaciers and Rain. And, uh, and it's this great little song. And it's like a minute and a half. And so for the first minute, you're just like, well, the, mu- the music's beautiful. And then you can like hear him take a deep breath. And you're like, oh, he's going to start singing. He sings one line. And then there's like a couple of seconds of music. And the song is over. But I would like to share with you the one line. And if you carved out every valley using glaciers and rain, surely then I trust you'll guide me for this lifetime of terrain. I love that line. Lead us not into temptation. Because if you carved out every valley, God, using glaciers and rain, well, surely then I trust that you'll guide me in this lifetime of terrain. So Lord, it's confusing out there. So like, I'm going to get off course unless you, unless you're the leader. So lead me. And he won't lead us into temptation. And Lord, deliver me from evil. So he's our guide and he's our protector. Now, if he's guiding us, he may guide us to some tough places. Valleys are hot, mountains are dangerous, and seas swell. But if he's delivering us from evil and takes us through scary places, you just have to know that when he guides us 
in the valleys that he's our shade. When he takes us to mountains, he can move them. When the seas swell, he can calm them. And when the waves rise, he can walk over them. And then Jesus is kind of done with the prayer. And I've quoted songs, I've quoted um, catechisms, I've quoted theologians, I've quoted sermons, because there's so much packed in this little tiny outline of how our Heavenly Father begs for us to talk with Him and listen to Him. But I skipped the one part. I skipped verse 12, and he kind of reiterates verse 12 in 14 and 15. And so in verse 12, it's, he's, he's going to say it again, because what he says in verse 12 is so interesting, and I think this is where most, people, most people's prayers fall off the railroad tracks. Um, he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you forgive others their trespasses, I'm reading in verse 14 now, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So I think this is like, this one is really confusing at first. I want us to, to quickly, but sure-footedly kind of pick our way through because this is interesting. A lot of people have been hung up here. They say the Lord's Prayer and they get to that part and they're like, forgive us of our sins. Easy. That's a great thing to pray. I pray that every day. I pray that before I go to bed at night. I literally pray that. Lord, forgive me of my sins because I don't know what I did. I mean, some sins I know I did during the day, but some I'm like, I didn't know that was a sin. And like, I'm sorry I did that. I didn't even know. Um, And so... I pray it every day, but this last part, this one I do not like. Like if I had a, a Sharpie as a highlighter, I would Sharpie that. Um, as we also have forgiven our debts. Like, God, forgive me like I forgive other people. That's what the prayer says. Now that should, like, that should make you a little bit concerned. God, forgive me like I forgive others. And then at the end of the prayer, he says, if you forgive others their sins, your father will forgive you yours. And if you don't forgive others their sins, your father won't forgive you yours. And so he like doubles down on it. It's the only part of the prayer he doubles down on. I think we can let scripture interpret scripture. And I think with one other passage, just one, I think we can understand this. So quickly turn to Matthew 18. Look in verse 21. And Jesus is going to tell a story. Here's the story. Peter comes up to him, Matthew 18, 21. Peter comes up to him and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Should I forgive him seven times? Which was the perfect number for Jewish people to forgive seven times. And Jesus said to him, no, 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 not seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells a story and he says, there's a king in a kingdom. There was a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And so here, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase the story for you. There's a king who, who, has, who, who, who wants to collect some money that he's owed. And, and he has one, he, he sends his servants out and he brings back a servant. They bring back a servant who's in debt. And he's indebted, we're going to use modern terms, he's indebted $10,000 to this king. It's 10,000 talents in the story. And the king says, I'm going to sell you and your wife and you're going to prison until you can pay the debt back. And the man begs, please, please, please forgive my debt. And the king has pity on him, it says. 
and forgives his 10,000 talent, $10,000 debt. As that man's leaving, he goes and he sees a man who owes him 100, we'll just call it $10. That's like the equivalent. Who owes him $10. And in the story, Jesus says, the man who was owed $10 grabbed the debtor by the throat and begins to choke him, demanding his $10. He's just been forgiven $10,000. And the guy says, I can't pay. And so the guy throws him in jail until he can pay. Now, people were concerned. Word traveled around, around the kingdom. It got back to the king, and the king came, and he said, bring that man to me. And he brought the man to him, the man who owed, who owed him $10,000. And he said, I forgave you $10,000. You couldn't let $10 go? Forget it. I'm reinstating your debt. Get out of here and get to prison. And he ends the story by saying, and in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all of his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. When I forgive another's offenses, no matter how small or how great, Listen to me here. When I forgive someone else's offenses, no matter how small or how great, and some of you have been offended greatly to the point that you, you have experienced traumatic violations of yourself and property by other people. You, you have had great, great sins against you. And some of us have just had small sins against us. But when I forgive someone's sin, no matter how great or how small, it is only because I remember my sin up against a holy, perfect, sinless God and how he had mercy on me. So the inverse is also true. When I withhold forgiveness, it's because I've forgotten my sin and how horrible it is compared to a holy God. So that dish that we prepped at the beginning, we need to get it back. So we, we, we pulled the gospel we poured it in a bowl, added, combined a bunch of verses and said, this gives us a picture of the gospel of Jesus. We need to bring it back to really understand this prayer. You see, we need to understand that forgiveness is not an excusing of justice. It's not an ignorance of grievousness. It's not disregarding the mourning of wounds or loss. Forgiveness is not just trusting blindly, but forgiveness is a realization that things aren't as they should be. Listen to this. Forgiveness is a realization that sin exists. Forgiveness is a realization that sinful people hurt sinful people. It's a realization that I am one of those sinful people. 
Forgiveness is a realization that God, who is all-loving, all-holy, all-righteous, all-good, all-just, all-kind, all-powerful, all-knowing, stepped out of heaven, put on flesh, and allowed himself to be sinned against, have our sins heaped on him, and then be killed so that we could have a chance. A chance at being redeemed. Look, when we think back to Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would, die, would dare even to die. But God shows his love and that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him? I'm going somewhere with this, follow me. Saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his love? life, if we are more concerned, if we are more concerned, I don't, I don't care that that person's an enemy of God, they're an enemy of mine. If I get to that spot and I refuse forgiveness for someone because I don't care, I don't care if they're an enemy of God, I care if they're an enemy of me. Do you see what I've just done? I have become God. I have flipped the script, and now I am judge, jury, and executioner. When I withhold forgiveness, I actually delve into the world of blasphemy. If he saved me when I was an enemy, he didn't do anything wrong, and I heaped sin upon sin against him. What spot do I have at all to withhold forgiveness from someone else? You see, when I go to God in prayer and I am not letting someone else go, do you think he really wants to talk about other stuff? Lord, I really need this job. I hate so-and-so. I need this job. Um, I really need a, I need a girlfriend. Like, that'd be good. Um, uh, my boss is a jerk. Like, I mean, like, you don't know what they did to me, that, that ex is a jerk, whatever. Like, do you think the Lord's like, oh, let's get to that wish list, bro? That would be awesome. No. He's like, we have bigger fish to fry. You forgot the gospel. You forgot what got you here in the first place. The reason Jesus put that in the middle of the prayer is because without it, everything else falls apart. I promise you, if you have bitterness in your heart, you can't pray the first part right. You are longing to get to the part about you, and you're going to build as much of that prayer as you can about you. Look, this is this gospel, it's such good news that we can't forget it. We have to remind ourselves every day that, that his grace saved me while I was dead in sin and marked as one of his enemies. Look, he, he's not talking about eternal salvation here. He's talking about, he's talking about like when he's talking about like either you're forgiven or you're not. He's talking about this is a child of mine and our fellowship, not our relationship, our fellowship is broken because your fellowship with another person is broken. 
And the Bible's really big on as far as it is concerned with me and you, we are to be at peace with all people. Now, I can't make somebody be at peace with me, but I better not be the one to blame for it. Why? Because if I am, I've forgotten the gospel. I've forgotten that I am grievous compared to holy, blameless God. So, I think, I mean, I think if we, if we go to the part, forgive my debts as, as we have forgiven our debtors, and we hold it up to the gospel, it, it makes perfect, perfect sense. And yet, when I withhold forgiveness, I promise you I forgot the height from which I have fallen I forgot the redemption that I've received in Jesus. I've despised the mercy of God on my enemies while slipping into the belief that I, am, uh, that I am somehow better than them, but I deserve the mercy from God and they don't. And so I think you have to ask this question as we end tonight. Are your prayers, think about this, think about, like, think about your remote control at home. Are your prayers muted because of unforgiveness, the songs you're singing, the worship you're trying to bring, if there's unforgiveness in your heart, the mute button is like stuck. It's that big of a deal. You need to be reminded of the gospel and you need to be reminded that that person, no matter how grievous it is that they've done, are, are no worse than you or I. Because holy God is holy God, and any amount of sin is disgusting against the holiness of God. So, I, I do want to give you one little, like, just like there's a reason that forgiveness is so hard, especially for you. you. You have been fed a steady diet of cancel culture, cynicism, doubt, victimhood, divorce, scandal, always the other tribe's fault, like self-promotion, self-identification, self-actualization, self-realization. You're the hero of your own story and your story is the only one that matters. You've been fed that, some of you, since you were in like first grade. And it's just a puffed up, ego-inflating way to say, man, the gospel is really not that good because, like, I'm pretty important and it makes everyone else less important. So I rewrote the Lord's Prayer and I would actually like to, to pray it over you as we go into our worship time. And forgiveness is really hard. I know it is. But as you remember the gospel, I think you'll have the strength to extend that grace to others. Our prayer team tonight is gonna be back there and I would love for you to utilize them for you or for someone else. But let me pray these words as I've, like I said, I've re rewritten based on what we've studied tonight, this model prayer. Our Father, you are in heaven. Lord, praise, honor, holiness be to your name alone. We ask that your kingdom would come and not mine. We ask that your will would be done and not mine. 
Would you let heaven come down to earth? Would you feed me? Would you care for me? Let all my nourishment come from you. Would you forgive me, God? I'm so tainted from the old sin self, I can't even lift my eyes to you. How is it that you love me? I forgive them, Lord. If you can forgive me when you've done no wrong, and yet I insult you and rebel, and rebel against you when you're showing me love all the time, Lord, how in the world could I not forgive them? They've done some terrible things, but so have I. But you be the judge and not me. You bring the justice. But God, you brought me to you. Would you bring them to you too? Would you save them? Would you forgive them? Would you convict them? Would you bring them to repentance? Lead me, Lord. If you carved out every valley using glaciers and rain, surely I trust you'll guide me for this lifetime of terrain and protect me. Let me not disgrace your loving kindness. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together?